0: From 99.9 The Fan, this is The Drive with Tim Donnelly. Sponsored by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. And there was a rivalry game between Duke and Carolina on Saturday. It happened. I was there. Tipped off at 6.30, Joe. The rivalry is not dead. Especially considering some of the reactions we've been getting after Duke's win over North Carolina at Cameron North Stadium. John Shire, 1-0. As head coach to start the rivalry,
1: yeah, I actually called this last year. First of all, full credit to you—you you said on Friday you thought Duke was going to win this game. You outlined why you thought Duke was going to win this game. So my favorite words to you, sir, are you were right. Thank you. That's number one. I didn't get the Derek Lively part right though. No, like I, I did in as the sense that he, he was. You no, know, but I did in the sense that he had to be the reason. He, yes. because length will yes. bother Baycott. We actually saw this with. Federico, Federico from Pitt mm-hmm. in the minutes that he was able to bother mm-hmm. Baycott mm-hmm. in the in the in um, that game. So just sticking with Duke, right? <clears throat> I said I was down in New Orleans. Duke lost. I remember this. Duke lost to Carolina. Obviously, everyone remembers that. But my shot of Joe to go was actually, this is a good thing for John Shire because he now, all of this, you know, oh, I have to follow Kay. Oh, right. You know, it's actually good. In terms of the rivalry for Shire, because mm-hmm. he can now just say, "I want to know that wasn't me, that wasn't my team," <laughs> and he's right. So I do think there was some motivation there. I do yeah. think you, you. I said the only way that Duke could win was you had to have Lively, who mm-hmm. remember top five, you know, prospect uh, recruit coming out of high school last year, and Tyrese Proctor played like a, he played like an Austin Rivers, a Jason Tatum, maybe a guy who was struggling a little bit, and then Mm -hmm. realized, oh, wait a second. This is where I make my money. This is the game that I care about. This is the game that I need. It's what these games do. And I thought Proctor was, I thought he was really, really good.
0: That's what these games are supposed to do.
1: Oh, yeah. We saw that with Caleb Love uh, Mm -hmm. during the pandemic, by the way. Like, that was one of his first games where you're like, okay, this is what he can be. And I want to stick with Duke just a little bit longer. I thought the game down in Atlanta where they hammered Georgia Tech gave them some confidence. And I want to get back to that concept of confidence because I think this the reason you're seeing NC State run so hot right now is confidence. Mm-hmm. I think Duke going to Atlanta, maybe beating what you think is a bad team, the way that they did Gave them confidence. Getting Jeremy Roach back gave them some confidence. The way that John Shire has handled his bench and used players in different games, yeah, it's been really, it's been a really difficult first season for him. It hasn't been all champagne and rainbows and no, and the road paved with gold. He's done a good job with the injuries and the changes in the lineups, and I think it all came together for him on Saturday, where you know Lively was good, Proctor was good, and Jeremy Roach was healthy and out there. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was an older. Veteran player kind of stepping up in the
0: moment as well. I'm glad you brought up confidence because I agree with you that Duke is playing like a confident team, but I think they got their confidence not from the Georgia Tech game, but in the ways that they've been playing in these types of games, especially at Cameron Indoor Stadium, where they've been perfect at home. They have, yeah. And I have, in the way the cookie crumbles, I've spent more time at Cameron Indoor this year than – Other home gyms, again, just the way my schedule has played out as I try to dot the area and watch as much basketball as I can. And every time I watch Duke play, I feel like they're growing because they understand their roles, and if they adhere to those roles, good things will happen, and as Coach K would say, and now John Shire says, be in position to play winning basketball. And that's where Duke was down the stretch against Carolina on Saturday. And you, mon- you mentioned NC State playing with confidence. Again, that's another team that is playing to their roles. How much have we talked about Casey Morsell this season? Understanding what he is there to do, and he's hit big shots when necessary. It's been an amazing turnaround
1: for mm-hmm. NC State in really understanding what their roles are. And this, of course, is all leading us to North Carolina. What are their roles and what are their problems? And I thought they were on full display yeah. on Saturday. Uh, Baycott. You know, he, if by his relative standard of excellence, he still had good numbers, but he wasn't a dominant force in the game. Of course, a big part of that is not being able to get to the foul line because of lively size. You also got to get him the ball, too,
0: which didn't happen in the last 10 minutes of that game.
1: Yeah, and then you see R.J. Davis, you see Caleb Love not exactly hitting on all cylinders. I don't know if there's friction there. I'm not going to get into the the parlor game of whatever the rumor du jour is about any of that. They just don't look like they're on the same page. They just don't look like they're in sync. Yeah. And that's a problem for Carolina because they're a limited team. And then, you know, I, I do feel bad. That I was critical of Pete Nance on Twitter. It, I, I thought it was a, a, a fair criticism. He doesn't have to be Brady Manic, and I think we, we need to get past all of those preseason expectations of yeah. just plugging a guy in who's a four who can shoot. He doesn't need to be Brady Manic for Carolina to be successful. He he needs to be a world better than he played on Saturday night. That was a big moment on Saturday mm-hmm. night, and. But here's the thing. I, I get me, why. I get why you're. That was a big out. moment on Saturday night, and it, my man, it ain't Northwestern anymore. That's no, a, that's I, the th- biggest that's stage the thing. you got. <laughs> what?
0: That is what we're doing. Talk about the Super Bowl. Oh. We're talking about the Super Bowl. That's right. I forgot. Nothing else can happen this week. It's the Super Bowl. Eagles. Chiefs. It doesn't matter that Carolina and Duke just played a basketball game and there's all sorts of stuff to pull on in terms of threads and what it means for Duke and what it means for Carolina. No, 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 no. We must talk about the Super Bowl. We are legally mandated to talk about the Super Bowl. All right, so tell you what. Can we just throw in a prop? Would that satisfy the football gods? All right, you got a prop for me, Joe? I think
1: with the Super Bowl, you have to start with the most basic of props. What? what, Give it to me. The coin toss. All right. Believe it or not, it's minus 120 each side, meaning you have to bet $120 to make 100. But I think tails never fails, so give me (laughs) tails minus All right.
0: 120. All right, cool. We satisfied that. Super Bowl discussed. Let's get back to North Carolina and Duke. A couple things I wanted to get to before the end of the segment. And to wrap my point on... I see what you're saying about Pete Nance. And I also think we have to recognize just how much of it it was an anomaly for Brady Manick to have the three-point production he had last year comparative to what he was doing at Oklahoma. And, yes, to your point, this ain't Northwestern. I think Ryan Young also understood that, too, because he played, what, six minutes in that game, four minutes in that game, because he was not a match for Armando Baycott. Armando Baycott would have feasted on Ryan Young had he stayed in the game longer. So shout-out to Derek Lively on understanding the assignment, right? But it's not just Pete Nance, man. Caleb Love is playing outside the offense, okay? Armando Baycott is an afterthought in crucial moments of the game when it's very clear, very clear that Hubert Davis wants the ball to go to Armando Baycott, which helps explain why Hubert Davis reacted in the way that it reacted after the game. The thing that got a lot of people talking was this comment, and that was in the press room. I was actually kind of surprised it went there. But here's Hubert Davis after the game talking about the lack of free throws.
1: The stat that I'm looking at is going into uh, the game, we had shot 150 more free throws than any other opponent in our conference. And we shot three. Zero in the second half. So that's what I'm looking at. Why do you think you didn't shoot free throws? Was it? You answer it. We
0: attack the basket. <laughs> that was Ross Martin of Inside Carolina. He said, well, why do you think that is? He's like, you know, you, basically you figure it out. We attack the basket, which was indicative to me that he felt that they should have been at the line more. But that's not how that game went. They weren't calling fouls. They let them play. I liked it. I like when they let them play. I'm tired of officiating talk. I don't mind a physical basketball game. It is a contact sport. And if it's mostly consistent, then I think everybody should be cool with it. Which, there's two points I wanted to make. I'm not going to go all in on Hubert Davis for his comments, even if I thought it was a bad look following that game. You should just own it that you got beat that night and not talk about the free throws because nobody wants to hear it from the North Carolina coach. Like, I'm trying to be as polite as possible, but not a single person wants to hear the head coach at North Carolina whining about the lack of free throw attempts nobody okay so you're not going to get a sympathetic ear. period however i give hubert davis the benefit of the doubt because joe correct me if i'm wrong hubert davis nba guy right spent some time in the league yes what do nba coaches do oh they like to plant seeds yes they do phil jackson was the best at it all right But NBA coaches tend to plant seeds. They want you to understand, I don't like how this went, and you guys better make this a point of emphasis the next time these two teams play. It is gamesmanship. I don't fault him for it. That being said, if your game plan is dependent on an allotment of trips to the line, that's a recipe for what happened on Saturday, a failure to adjust. By the way, just because you get to the line doesn't mean you'll actually make your free throws either. I don't want to base what happened against Pitt to its essence, boil it down to the nitty-gritty. But, Joe, am I speaking out of turn if I said, had Carolina hit more than, what, 60% of their free throws, which I think was the final number in their loss to Pitt, if they had actually hit their free throws, like they've been doing this season, do they win that game? Absolutely. Yes. So it's not even a guarantee that you're going to make your free throws, given what had happened in the pick game. So I think that's a huge problem that there's some sort of you're owed trips to the line. You're not owed a damn thing. You're not owed trips to the line, which gets back to the reaction that I saw on Saturday night, which I thought was completely fair and normal. Nobody wants to hear the head coach in North Carolina complaining about the officials. I'm sure, they're, I'm sure there's a separate ACC coach group chats going, can you believe this? not just fans. Speaking of ACC group chats, I'd like to know the one that happened after Jim Boeheim told Pete Thamel that ACC squads were behind basketball teams.
1: is just a tap away.
0: We're going to talk about it a little bit more as the week goes on, but Brief History of Triangle Sports is back. If you enjoyed last season where I told you know one-off individual stories of things that were newer updates to history or defunct teams you might not even remember, uh, season two will start up next week. It's going to be a multi-part series on the Raleigh-Durham Skyhawks a defunct World League of American football team that played one season and one season only and did not win a game. You're probably wondering, hey, Ovius, why the hell are you spending seven episodes on a football team that nobody remembers? Well, I'm glad you asked. The reason is it's a pretty fascinating time in the triangle, and it helps explain why things got set up the way that they were later in the 90s that helped say, bring the Carolina Hurricanes. So go down, go, go to Brief History of Triangle Sports. If you missed any of the episodes from last summer, uh, by all means, you can enjoy those. Uh, but next week, we'll start with a two-episode premiere on the Raleigh-Durham Skyhawks, including the what-if scenario if the Carolina Panthers had actually gone here instead of Charlotte. True story. Almost happened. So that's all in the brief history of Triangle Sports, Raleigh Durham Skyhawks, which will be available starting next week. At some point in the next couple of weeks, I would expect Jim Beheim to retire, don't you think, Joe? The Syracuse head basketball coach? What a
1: odd and out-of-left-field yeah, decision man. over the weekend to just take shots at Pitt and... Wake Forest. That's the thing
0: that gets me. Like, you're going after
1: Pitt and Wake Forest? You know, you and I have had enough conversations now off the record with coaches and Mm. ADs, and and they have these same concerns. Remember when we were at the Final Four last year? All of these coaches had concerns about NIL. But the way that Jim Boeheim went about it with Pete Tamil uh, at ESPN to be like, as if it was 1986, and and Georgetown and St. John's were, were getting Patrick Ewing and and Chris Mullen at St. John's it, it for, through ill-gotten means or
0: something. We don't spend a lot of time talking about Syracuse basketball. Why for good would reason. We? Why yeah. would we? But I'll say this. Jim Boeheim this particular season is past his sell-by date when it comes to coaching college basketball, and he's actually been an embarrassment not just for Syracuse in the way that he has handled himself with the media this year, but he's also been an embarrassment for the ACC. You can you can't just out of nowhere acute... Well, here is the thing. where he cares can... about the. East. Well, he, doesn't he, he doesn't, doesn't. he doesn't care about the ACC. I am just saying from the perspective of he, the way he talked about Wake Forest and and Pitt and they you know I know they're buying basketball teams completely divorced from the reality of that. He has a big name booster at Syracuse who's been on record talking about, oh yeah, I got like a million dollars to make sure that we can keep our recruits. It's all part of it, man. It's all part of it, and I wish that ACC coaches would start giving away the actual game. Because there's nothing wrong with NIL. There are no rules for any
1: of this stuff Well, it's not against the rules, but there is something wrong with NIL. They're passing the buck to the fans as opposed to sharing the revenue that their players
0: are helping generate. So I know Jeff Capel, Pitt's head coach, didn't really say anything during the ACC teleconference today, nor should he. Why would he dignify the ridiculousness of... of Jim Beheim.
1: Well, that was a little bit weird because you know Capel was involved with Team USA basketball through Mike Krzyzewski, mm-hmm. and then obviously Jim Beheim. So that they have a friendship there. So it's odd, or they at least have a professional relationship there. So that was again, it was just completely yeah. odd. And, and I don't mind saying, I reached out to Steve Forbes. I'm like, where did any of this come from? Like, do you have beef with Jim Beheim? And as he said, as Forbes said on the teleconference, no. Like, I I like Jim. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm friends with Jim, and and. I don't know what I was trying to watch Netflix is what he told me. Yeah, he was like, I to watch was just Netflix. trying to relax. I don't, I don't know, where any of this stuff. Came but from.
0: my, what I'm getting at with a Forbes or Jeff Capel or any other coach in college basketball or football who gets caught up in this coach is mad because you bought your team. At this point, I want a coach to say, "Hey, I would like everybody to understand that the coach who is whining about the current state of college athletics is telling you that he's not interested in evolving. This head coach is not interested in." being in the mix for top recruits, this is the game now. This is how you have to evolve. Just like the game used to be, you get the high school coach on your staff or you give the parent a job or you give the parent the money for the IYBL Basketball League team that he's coaching for Nike. There's always ways to the game. The game has evolved. If you cannot get with the new game, then you should get out. Mike Krzyzewski did. Roy Williams did. Jay Wright did. What the hell is keeping Jim Boeheim at Syracuse other than stubbornness? Other than approve some point he that only he said cares about. about
1: the calendar and his years. And I mean, the game has passed him by. It's clearly it's... passed him by. It's
0: clearly passed him by. And he couldn't win by.
1: with his kids, which is the part I didn't understand. Well, he, still
0: got, he still has Joe Girard,
1: right? Like, I don't understand last year how they weren't even competitive. I know. It was brutal. And that's got to be difficult for him. Oh. Has it been five minutes
0: Okay. Talk about okay. The Super Bowl. Okay. We're talking about the Super Bowl. Fine. Jeez.
1: You got another prop bet for me? <laughs> actually, I do. Okay. Patrick Mahomes with that hobbled ankle. You can actually bet on which team is going to have more sacks, Joe, and seeing as how the Eagles led the NFL in sacks this year. The Eagles at minus 124, meaning you have to bet $124 to
0: make $100. That feels like money in the bank. Mm, I like it. I like it. Uh, Speaking of Patrick Mahomes, and this video is on YouTube right now. Patrick Mahomes is a big catch up guy. Yeah, on steak. He puts it on steak. Hey, look, man, I'm a Heinz 57 guy. I'll put Heinz 57 on a steak. I will. I'm not above it. I am not above putting high fifty-seven on a steak. You've just disqualified yourself from all steak conversations. <laughs> You've now retroactively disqualified any of your steak takes. <laughs> hey, I'm still. Thank r- you. I'm I appreciate s- it. S- I'm still, I'm still I will right. win now over I'm the not, uh, New York Strip is greatest steak of all time. I'm still. I'm <clears throat> still right. I'm still right about the New York Strip steak argument. <laughs> Regardless, not,
1: uh, well, now we know why you're putting not ketchup putting,
0: on it. I'm not putting highs fifty-seven on that. The question is: the question is, do you think? Do you think that Patrick Mahomes, ketchup connoisseur, can tell the difference between ketchups? I knew this was coming back to me. Well, it's back. It's on YouTube right now. Gillio once claimed that he only (laughs) eats Heinz ketchup (laughs) and that Heinz ketchup is easily identified from all the other trash ketchups that are out there. It is the elite ketchup. Not in Joe's world. I'm not going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, but it's on our YouTube page. Go look up 99.9 The Fan on YouTube, and you can watch Joe Giglio absolutely embarrass himself. Taste, Actually, he didn't even taste test the right ketchup. That was the, that was the funniest part about it. Anyway, go check that out on YouTube.